0: All right, I love
1: that last verse, man. Uh, one day we're going to we're going to see Jesus face to face, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to be in His presence, and we're going to everything that's unclear for us will be clear because we'll see Him as He is. But today we were reading uh, in in our morning uh, time before worship rehearsal, we were praying about and reading about a number of passages that talk about how. Uh, how it is now and, and basically it's just taking ownership of now uh, when the passage talked about numbering our days you know um, that that we're not going to be here long on the earth so so number your days meaning pay attention and use your days to accomplish those things that are moving toward the wisdom of God A knowledge of God and for us you know that's more than just information we 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 become we are becoming more familiar with the person of Christ because we're obeying him and seeing him work and move in our lives and so uh i can just testify from my own life as a as now a person who's been practicing this for 20 plus years to some it, some extent abiding in Christ coming to know him by experience that Man, life is just full of, it's so much more full of joy and contentment. Would you all agree with that? I mean, those of you that have been walking it long enough to see the extent of that, I mean, real joy. Not joy that's based on your circumstances, not joy that's only, you know, only feel whenever they, everything's going right. But the joy that kind of, you know, surpasses your circumstances. And you're starting to realize, am I talking to myself, everybody? Y'all seeing that? If so, say, oh, yeah. I mean, some of you are. I'm not asking you to lie, but I know some of you are, some of you that are here, uh, all the real mature ones are gone today, so, no, I'm just kidding, the ones that really love God, so we got the rejects today, so thanks, doing thanksgiving, God, for the rejects, no, just kidding, oh, thanks for that word, just got told. But, but the joy that we're beginning to experience right now, you know, as I sing singing that song, yeah, it's going to be great when we get to heaven, but we, we are, our eternal life has already begun for us. Does everybody get that? It's already begun. You're not going to get eternal life whenever this life is over. It's kind of like my warranty on my motorcycle. I found out this week, I, I'm thinking about trading my one-year-old motorcycle for a different kind of one-year-old mo- or a different kind of new motorcycle, and I, I bought a warranty on it. And I bought the extended warranty, which is another three years. So I had five years of warranty. So I called yesterday because you're supposed to get a refund on that and uh, to check and see how much refund I was going to get. And come to find out, the the new warranty went into effect whenever I, I mean, the, the extended warranty goes into effect the second you buy the bike. So I'm already in the extended warranty. I don't understand that, but that's the way it works. Okay, but it's also true about eternal life. Eternal life, you might not feel like you're using it right now, but you should be, right? I mean, eternal life doesn't happen. It's not life after death. It is life in the kingdom of God. Everybody see that? You can begin life in the kingdom of God now. Eternal life is the type of life you, you uh, inherited that God gave you as a free gift when you got Jesus. Now, that's one of the gifts you get is eternal life. It started. So we can start living in it now. And, and what I'm starting to understand, I miss that, by the way. You know, I don't expect that. If, I, if you hadn't heard that before, you don't understand that, don't expect that I really think that you're immature or dumb. I was in ministry for years and years, 20 years plus, and didn't understand this basic truth about the fact that I can enjoy God now, that I can start knowing him personally now. You know, that I, can, I don't have to wait till the wedding that I'm already, I can enjoy the dating process. And in this case, all the full benefits, except for heaven. All right, so we're walking with God. I hope you're, I hope you're discovering God. I'm you're finding joy in that. So in the process of that, there's something that we're going to talk about today that, that man, is so hard to deal with. When you start really getting on that journey of, man, I just want to obey God because I want to know Him because my life is getting better, and I'm I'm finding more joy and peace, and I'm, I'm loving God more, and it's real love. It's not the kind of love that you have to fake or thank the Lord I can sing a little bit because I like singing harmony with this word love in it, you know. It's not, it's not, feel, it's not a feel-good kind of, I just, I'm just trying to draw something out that's not there. This is real love. It's authentic love. It's the kind of have for Talitha, deep love. The kind of love that doesn't matter what she does, I still I have, a, I have a deep love for her. It's that kind of love. It's love that surpasses, again, goes beyond circumstances. It's love for the person of God, right, that we're beginning to discover. Now, we've been in this almost a year. Today's our last day in this study on the character of God in the Gospels. So, really a year. We're going to talk about Christmas starting next week. But a year. Of all these different characteristics of God, are you experiencing God in these ways? Our prayer before we started this, this series was that we would begin to not only understand and see God in the Scriptures, but that we would be, begin to experience Him as these things in our own life, realizing he, doesn't, he never changes. This is who He is. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be in us when we not recognize who He is? But as we begin to pursue Him and love Him and enjoy Him then sin just becomes, it becomes something different. Sin can't separate us from God anymore. Sin does nothing to change our standing with God anymore. Once you become a believer, you have the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ given to you, and, and your chains are gone. You've been set free. There, there's nothing that binds you, and there's nothing also that God looks down at and says, huh, you're not going to get my favor today because of what you did today. God looks down, and he sees the righteousness of Christ and he says, you get everything. You get all of it. You get everything that Christ gets. I'm exalting you. I'm lifting you up. I'm singing over you. I love you. And, you know, we get everything that Christ gets. So, so what is it about sin then in a believer's life who understands the imputed righteousness of Christ? What is it about sin that's, that's frustrating? Well, for me, it's, it's the things that it robs me of in, my, in, my, in the kingdom. It's, it's knowing God and walking with God in the kingdom. It's like God's going this way, and I choose to sin, which is the opposite direction that God's going, right? doesn't mean he doesn't love me. doesn't mean he doesn't care for me. It just means God has a plan over here that he wants to show me something really, really good, and he's trying to get me over to, well, to uh, Universal Studios to show me Harry Potter World, and I want to go eat at Huddle House you know, or McDonald's. You know? And he's saying, come on. Come on. He's going to get us there, but just come on now. Sin just gives us just a distraction. It's a fast food restaurant on the way to Universal Studios and Hogwarts and Diagon Alley. You know, all the beautiful things that, that, that God wants us to see. That was for my kids. My kids can appreciate that and my wife. So I can just tell you, I, I, have, I have sin in my life. I have habitual sins. I have things that continually work on me, and so do you. We have these things in our lives. And today, what Jesus is going to do for what we're going to see today in this story, in this encounter that Jesus has with his disciples and with his Father, we're going to see something that's going to help us. And that is that Jesus helps us to overcome temptation. He helps us to overcome temptation. Now, sin and temptation are not the same. Everybody gets that, right? Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you've sinned. Temptation is, is the desire or the, the prompting of the enemy in our lives in whatever, in whatever ways that he uses to get us to sin, but it's not sin. I've always, had, I've always hated it when people slow down on the speed-up lane. It's called a speed-up lane for a reason, people, right? If you're one of those, thank you, Ryan. Ryan. If you're one of those people, I want to talk to you after church. We're going to start a speed-up lane class. I hate it when people slow down on speed a speed-up lane. So a I can tell you. This. I mean, I just lose my whole character. That's why I can't carry a gun in my car. <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. Really, I get crazy about it. It, it. You know, that's temptation. That person, Satan uses that person in front of me. Those of you who'd like to slow down on speed up lanes rather than use it to speed up. You know, that Satan uses that to tempt me. I've always had a problem with that. And so, you know, anger rises to the surface. Nobody talks in my car when people slow down on the speed up lane, they all go, Oh, God, please. Help that old lady speed up. She doesn't know any better. Because anger is my sin. That I have a you know, the temptation is the slowing down on the speed up lane. I have I I have always had a problem when I plan something. And somebody messes it up. My kids can tell you this. Of too, I'm better at it now because God has given me victory. Is giving me, notice I didn't say has given, is giving me victory over my temptation to chill when people mess up my plans. So, like, I'll plan a vacation. We're going to, we're going to Harry Potter World. Whole family. Load up in the car, big time. We're going to have a great vacation. And I plan everything just so. And, and, and then my big plan, initial plan, is we get in the car, okay? I've learned to, be, faithful, to uh, be patient with my family getting in the car. That's a big step for me. I want you guys to pray for me on that and thank God for that. Today's Thanksgiving. There's a good one. With my family getting in the car. Once we get in the car, it's, it's all under my control because I'm the driver. I know exactly how long it takes to get to Baton Rouge, to get through Baton Rouge traffic, get to the other side of Baton Rouge, and we're going to be there on time or maybe early because I try to fool myself, too. I don't like to mess my own plans up, so I give myself a little extra time. So we drive, and we're doing fine, and we get to Baton Rouge, and, the, and we're almost to Baton Rouge, and the kids say we want to get some coffee at Starbucks. <sighs> no. Impatience just swells up inside of me and turns to anger. You know, I I know I have this problem, and I hate it. And the temptation is because the people around me are trying to get my routine out of order, get my plans out of order. I know what temptation feels like. Right? Do you? You can probably relate to, to both of those. Those are pretty common. Well, the difference between temptation and sin is temptation is slowing down on the speed-up lane. Temptation is interrupting my plans. Sin is anger, impatience, right? And so a believer like us, believers who have encountered God and are coming to know God through obedience in our lives and are enjoying the person of, of the Holy Spirit as we discover him through obedience in our life, Those of us, when our hearts are changed by the Holy Spirit, the eternal part of us doesn't ever want to sin again. And since sin starts with temptation, we we need to deal with temptation today. We need Jesus' help with temptation. Paul talks about this process. He talks about this frustration that we're feeling. All of us are feeling. If you you really are pursuing God and you're coming to know God by experience, through obedience in your life, then you share the frustration I'm talking about is that you, you, the, the eternal part of you wants to live perfectly. And yet, this temptation that uh, Satan keeps, these temptations that Satan throws to the old flesh patterns of your life, the way you used to live, he knows that I always have gotten angry at speeding, slowing down and speed up lanes and interruptions of plans. And so he keeps throwing that at my old nature. It's my old way of, of my, my default way uh, in my body of responding. And it is in my body. This in my physical body and in in the gray matter of my mind. Those are habits that are formed in this physical body. The only part of me that hasn't been redeemed yet. Paul's descriptions of this internal struggle uh, are in in Romans chapter 7 and 8. Look at what it says in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 15 to 23. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is is good, but I cannot carry it out. What What I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin Living in me that does it. Where does it live? If it lives in me, where does it live? He goes on to describe it. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, the eternal me, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work where? In the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. And making me a prisoner to the law of a sin at work within my members of my body. Y'all see the difference there? Don't let Satan think, make you think that that desire to sin comes from the eternal part of you. The eternal part of you is crucified with Christ. It no longer lives. The eternal part of you, according to Scripture, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, is dead. It's passed away. You are a new creation in Christ. It's not a, a remade part of you. You didn't just take the old stuff and say, okay, we'll just do the best we can with what we got. Or we would all be messed up. It's a new. It's a creation out of nothing. Ex nilo. Like God created the world. There was nothing, and he made it out of nothing. Your old you is dead. It feels alive because your members of your body are are waging war against the eternal part of you. Those old habits are still there, and Satan tempts you to walk in those, so just know where they come from. But, but notice, there's, there's no guilt for Paul's temptation, only the frustration of his sinful acts. He adi- identifies them as coming from his body, and when you realize that God's grace provides the righteousness of Christ on your behalf, then your heart motive for sin is gone. He speaks about it again in his second letter to the Corinthian church. Look at it in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 7. For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternally in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this thing, uh, very thing, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage, because we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So. What's this earthly tent he's talking about? He's talking about his body. What's this heavenly dwelling he's talking about? He's talking about a new body that we have not yet received. Every part of you is new. Totally new, recreated by God except for your body. But your body's going to be changed. And until that time comes, Paul says we groan, man. We're so we want to be out of these bodies. We're burdened by these bodies. If you're an eternal child of God, you've been redeemed, and you understand you're standing with God, and you're enjoying walking with God and knowing God and, and obeying God and coming to know Him through your experiences with Him, and you're begun, beginning to experience the kind of joy we're talking about, and that fulfillment and contentment, then, then you know what I mean when you're constantly falling into the temptations of the enemy. And he robs you of some joy that you're about to experience. Or he postpones some contentment that you're going to feel because you keep chasing after these temptations. I'm, I, I just never trust God. I have a problem with trust. I, you know, When it comes to money, I don't I have issues. Or when it comes to my job, I just can't. Or you know, when it comes to people and how they act, I got these temptations. All those things keep moving us away from a deeper understanding of who God is. A deeper understanding that ultimately would, would cause us to be contented And at peace and full of joy in the middle of the worst temptation that we've always fallen to. God wants that for us. He wants to give us that. So, with those frustrations that we have as believers in our minds, those of us who are just trying our best to abide in Christ, discover more of Him, all we're trying to do is train our bodies to do what our spirits want to do. We need to train our bodies, we need to train our thinking. So, so sometimes the Bible talks about, you know, in, in, in the Romans passage, Paul talks about in chapter 8, set your mind on the things of the Spirit and you won't do the things that the flesh desires. Don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. It's not by thinking about it and you know, continuing to bring it up and, and, and continue to, uh, to mourn your sins and, the, and your, your difficulties. keep bringing them up and say, oh, I'm such a bad guy, bad guy. That's Satan's tactic. He wants you to do that. Because if you set your mind on it, you'll do those things. He says, "Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Walk in obedience. You have the power to do it. Walk in obedience, and you will then you will uh, you will do the things the Spirit desires." So Jesus is our helper, guys. We need to recognize that today. We're going to see how He helps us overcome temptations, because ultimately that's what's beginning. That's where sin begins. It begins with the temptation. So. If God can help us to to, uh, overcome our temptations, then we will get the victory that we're looking for. Does that make sense? Let's nip it in the bud, right? Nip it in the bud. Start at the beginning. So we're going to look at an encounter with the disciples. This, This encounter happens in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46, in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after Jesus gives the abiding teachings to the disciples. So here's what he says. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. everybody set. Let's get some help. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to, to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. So, how does Jesus help us overcome temptation? First of all, by his example. By his example, Jesus knows that he's about to face temptation himself. And so, in, in verse 36, look at it again. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, he had already taught them how to pray. So, this was not going to be a lesson in how to pray. You remember our study in that a while back? We looked at how Jesus teaches us to pray. But now he's going to let them experience his prayer in a moment of temptation. Jesus invited. He knows he's going into temptation. And the first thing he does is he invites his disciples to go with him. He invites those people that are like minded, that are close to him to come with him into prayer. And, and by his example, I think first, first thing that we need to realize is that by his example, he's teaching us something about how to, how to handle temptations in our life. We need to get around us some people who are like-minded, who believe the way we believe, who are walking with God and trusting God and, 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 and pursuing God, who, who are, are going to be around us, praying with us. Coming coming into that time with us. Jesus invites them to come. I think the gathering place as a church, as a whole, uh, we, we have distinctives. That's why we spend the time that we spend doing what we've done with our new members. That's why we go through our orientation together. So we can all be on the same page of understanding this is what we're about. Here are our distinctives. And they're not many, they're few. But they matter to us. It's what distinguishes us from other churches. And nothing's wrong with other churches. It's just we want to have a body of believers that will support us in our walk with God. That our main focus is going to be that we come to know God by experience through obedience. That is abiding. That's who we are. Have y'all noticed that that's a little bit far into a lot of other, other people who who are Christian, friends of yours? That when you if you go to them, they will give you advice, but their advice won't be go abide in Christ. Their advice will be Oh, you need to do this because this is, you know, it's a book I read or whatever. It, it, it's self-help and it's pull yourself up. And, and I had that problem, so here's the answer. And so-and-so did it wrong and this is what happened to them. Don't do that. And it becomes just a list of things to do or not do. You want some help in your time of, of temptation? Here's what you do. Get the gathering place, people. Get your people Get your church praying with you. Get the the people that you love that are like-minded and on board with what you're doing on your side. Going to God for you. Going to God with you. Jesus gives us that in his example. So we need to invite those who do life with us to pray with us in temptation. He also takes those closest to him deeper into prayer with him. Look at it. In verse 38, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I mean, he, he, Peter, James, and John, we all know they're, you know the number of times, the Mount of transfiguration, the healing of the, 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 the little girl, uh, uh, raising of the dead of the little girl. He takes Peter, James, and John with them. We know he, they stand out. Jesus, is, for whatever reason, has a special relationship with some that are of, called his disciples, even within the 12. He has these three that he, he's close to, that he's, that he's vulnerable with. And he, he's can you imagine hearing Jesus after you know he's the Son of God you spend three years watching him control his environment, <laughs> literally? That he's saying, my soul is overwhelmed within me, and he's, he's, he's being honest and vulnerable. Pray with me. Come deeper with me. Let's go to. I need you guys to hear exactly what's going on in my life. And we might not have the, the feel of comfortable coming, but I, I really think this is an, again. Look at the example of Christ. He helps us by his example. Look at what he does and do it. That you need people in your life that you can be vulnerable with. I think it's a smaller group within the gathering place for you. If you're a member here and this is what you connect with, it's a smaller group that you, you, know, you may not feel comfortable sharing with the whole church what's going on in your life. But you do feel comfortable sharing in an intimate group uh, and being vulnerable in an intimate group and asking for sincere prayer and being willing to confess, here's what I, where my temptation is. Jesus does that with this with inner circle of three. And I think our life groups are that. I think if they're not that, that's what they're designed to be. I believe that's why God called us together. Those of you that just went through New Member Orientation, last week you had a study on the life group and where that comes from. It comes from Jesus and his 12. And even within his 12, he had those three that he gets intimate with, vulnerable with. I think your life group is that. We need to be that for each other, but we also need to to realize if we're going to overcome temptation, we can't hide our sins from everybody. We, we need to confess our sins. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you might be what? Anybody know? Healed. Healed. Confess your sins one to one another that you might be healed. Healed from what? Healed from that sin. You want to overcome temptation? Get a group of people close to you and pray. Don't be ashamed to share that. Find somebody. He takes those closer with him into prayer and he shows them his struggle. That he's having. Do you have some people in your life that you can be honest with about everything? Man, I want to invite you to, to, take, your, to take your life group to a different level. If you're already in a life group and you don't feel like this is that, that this, this describes your life group, then take your life group. Be responsible. Get with your group and say, we need to go to the next level and be honest with one another. We need to, this needs to be a place of confidence, of uh, confidentiality, of trust the faithfulness among the group, let's build this this relationship. Third thing, Jesus submits to the Father's will and employs the Spirit's power in the garden. Look at it in verse 26, verse 39. Chapter 26, verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus grapples with this physical temptation, this temptation to live, this temptation to continue to be in a relationship with his disciples, this temptation to, to whatever he was feeling and expressing, the temptation was there, and it was very real, and Satan was working him, working him hard, so that he, as he prays, he sweats drops of blood, according to one of the other gospels. He is praying, he's anguishing over this struggle that he's having in the garden, and he asks for help, but ultimately... Ultimately, he does what the Father asks him to do. He submits his will to the Father by the power of the Spirit that lived inside of him. Ultimately, guys, look, it has to come to action for us. We've got to ultimately submit to the will of God if we're ever going to discover how good it is. We've got to submit to his will and do what he tells us to do in the temptation. If we're ever going to discover that it's better not to blow your mind whenever you're your kids mess up your, your plans on your trip, and it is better. I wish I had done that so much earlier, but once I started doing that, which has only been the last couple of years, by the way, my family can testify, but it's better for me. I enjoy it more. I enjoy it more. Satan was robbing me of some of my contentment and joy and my family's joy because I chose to not ultimately obey what God said. It's not like the Holy Spirit wasn't saying, "Don't do it, don't do it." He was. I'm saying, but the fuse is lit, <laughs> and I'm not trying to put it out, you know. And, and, and then an the explosion happens. So Jesus helps us by His example. In this case, by teaching us, we need to grapple with our sins, grapple with the temptation. We need to think about it. We need to bring it to before God. Jesus goes to God three times. There's one other reason that he goes other than this, I'll talk about in a second. But he goes three times to the Father. Three times. He comes back to the disciples to, for help and support. They're sleeping. He goes back. You know, he he speaks to them because he's doing that for a reason, but he goes back and he grapples with his father again. And he, and he and he and he he's struggling with this. Now we know that Jesus never would have not gone to the cross, but the Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. His temptation was real. I want you to know it wasn't easy for him. The, he, he, we get this struggle of Jesus in the Scriptures because we, he can relate to us as our high priest. We need to know that he felt everything that you're feeling. That temptation, that strong temptation you think, oh, Jesus never had to do it. Yes, he did. And worse. And he ultimately submitted to the Father. And the scripture tells us the reason he submitted to the Father ultimately was for the joy that was set before him. He took up the cross for the joy that was set before him. There would be joy, and he knew it. It was coming. But this is going to be a tough, tough one to overcome. But he does, and we need to, we need to grapple and then overcome with Jesus' power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the same power. Listen, church, y'all ready? The same power. That Jesus had to overcome sin. We have it. It's him living in us. He he did that so that we could overcome sin. And enjoy the life that he has for us. And walk with him and know him. So Jesus helps us by his example. Second way that Jesus helps us. Is by his ministry focus. Jesus is focused on ministry here. He he is in this temptation, yet he's still focused on ministry. And we have that opportunity. Ultimately, Jesus makes time, this time of prayer, this time of struggle, this time of grappling and sweating drops of blood and anguish and all the things that he's experiencing personally. He takes this time of of struggle and he uses it as an opportunity specifically for Peter's upcoming temptations. Now, this is new to me this week, seeing this. But I think it's good for us because did you ever think that you were being tempted for the sake of others rather than for yourself? Ever wonder why you keep facing these temptations? Why it is that you can't overcome or that you're struggling, struggling, struggling? Did you ever think that maybe it's because when you overcome, when, when you follow these commands, this example of Christ, and you overcome that God has a ministry for you, I'll tell you what has helped me is when I'm going through temptation to realize that I'm going to be able to use this story of what who Christ is in my life and how he has helped me to be able to help someone else. It's a way to help you with temptation. Jesus helps us by giving us a ministry, by putting people in our minds, by helping us understand that there is a, a ministry that's going to come out of this, so it's not going to be wasted Verses 40 through 45. Look at what happens in this encounter. And we'll make sense of it. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me for one hour? He asked who? Whom? Whom? Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He's saying this to Peter. Never noticed this before this week. Peter, watch and pray. So that you will not fall into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing. Eternal me? Willing. But what's weak? The body. Jesus says it again. Same thing Paul said. The body is weak. He went away a second time. My father if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. When he came back he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then when he returned to his disciples, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Remember that earlier that evening, Jesus had begun to work with Peter, his ministry project through this temptation. He began to work with Peter already earlier in the evening, just a few hours earlier, maybe an hour earlier. He's telling Peter this. Uh, look at it in, verse, uh, this is in the Luke passage, verse 31, 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, be, may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He's preparing him. He's preparing him for the temptation, and he's preparing him for what he's doing right. Jesus is being an example to Peter in this temptation because he is ministering to Peter. How is he doing it? He's already told him, you're, gonna, you're going to, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You, Satan has asked if he can tempt you. And when you return, so meaning you're going to follow, you're going to sin, but when you overcome, there's another word that's used there, strengthen the brothers. Peter, I'm using my temptation to relate to you. You use yours to strengthen the brothers because it's coming. Of course, Peter didn't agree with it. Peter says, "No, even if all the others forsake you, I will not." And then Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, three times." Jesus faces temptation how many times in the garden? How many separate times the disciples see him go back to prayer? Three times. Not a coincidence. It's not like, it's, I mean, I, I'm sure, it tells us about the struggle of Jesus in the garden. I appreciate that. But you know what I appreciate? That I never saw it till this week. Jesus is showing Peter, okay, here's what you do when you're tempted three times. <laughs> when you're tempted three times to deny me before the night's up. When you're tempted three times, here's what, I, here's what you do. All three times, you go back to the Father in prayer. You go back to the Father in prayer. He's helping Peter personally. that's That's a personal touch from Jesus in the life of Peter. Of course, we know Jesus didn't finish there. Later on, he gives them three opportunities in John chapter 21 to say that he loves them. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? They grieved him the third time. They asked him, yes. Okay, then feed my sheep. Get back to the ministry, Peter. This is personal touch for Jesus, but not... Not after his, only after his resurrection, which is huge, but in the midst of the anguish of what he's experiencing in temptation. Y'all getting this? In the middle of the anguish, he has Peter in mind and what Peter's going to face. And he's taking Peter with him. Step by step, he goes away three times to pray, knowing that Peter's going to be tempted three times. We know that he knows because he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. So he's, he's got his focus on Peter. Listen, we can, we can most of us, we, we get so guilty and so full of, of shame. That's what the enemy does with us when we sin and we give in to temptation again. We, we get so full of shame and we regret and we remorse. And we, we waddle in the guilt and we set our mind on the things that we've done wrong. You know what will help you with that? Get your mind on somebody else that's going through the same struggle. and Get ready. Get ready. Know that you have accountability and responsibility for those people in your life group to help them to know how to overcome that. Don't just sit around and talk about how hard it is. And don't just laugh it off like I did today about my sin. You know, it's funny. But don't just laugh it off. Overcome it for the sake of the brothers. Because God has the power. Somebody's got to overcome those sins. And be able to stand before the brothers and say, It's good when you overcome it. And here's what it feels like. Here's what life is like when you do that. So Jesus prepares us. He does that in our lives. Have you ever felt him doing that? Preparing you with a personal touch? Giving you some wisdom or some some truth that's, that's helped you to overcome your temptation? Maybe it's something you never heard before or read before, and he gives you some secret that helps you in the middle of a temptation It's right where you are. A word that someone gives, or maybe something that you read, or Maybe something he just lays on your heart through scripture. He prepares us by giving us a personal touch, helping us to overcome, and then giving us an opportunity to teach. And the last thing, the last way that Jesus prepares us, this is the best, this is the grace and mercy of God, is by substitution. Jesus helps us overcome temptation by being our substitute. Look at what he says. In verse 45 and 46, look at what Jesus does after his temptation. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. The best news about how Jesus overcomes temptation is he does it on our behalf. All right, switch modes. I've been talking about things we can do. Now I'm talking about something we can't do. I'm talking about something that's been done for us. The good news is, how does Jesus help us overcome our temptations? He he already did it. I mean, I just can't, Yeah, but he already did it. He, He is our substitute. He's already overcome our temptation. Whatever it is that you continue to fall to, if it's anger and impatience like me, then you can rest in this. Jesus has already overcome that. That's going to help you to realize that it's already overcome because what the enemy does is he takes that and puts it in our heads and makes us feel like God hates us. God's judging us. God we're we are his slaves, and he, we're never measuring up. And if we have that, that thing in our memory that Jesus has already overcome on our behalf, that when God looks at us, he sees what Jesus did in the garden. He went to the cross for us. Look at it in Philippians 2. I love this passage. This description of it, chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Here's his obedience. And by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him every name, a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's done it. It's done. And if that doesn't encourage you in a time of temptation to know that, first of all, Jesus is our example. He's told us how to do it. Gather around you, the church. Let the people in this church know when you're struggling. Don't be uh, afraid to share that you need prayer. You know, just say, man, I'm struggling, I need prayer. And then go to your life group and say, and this is what I'm struggling with. Please keep this confidential. I know you guys will keep it confidential. I've got to let it out. I'm struggling with this. In the old days, you used to be ashamed of sharing that stuff, but now that you've been set free by Christ, because He's your substitute, He's already overcome it for you, and God doesn't hold you uh, accountable for it. That you can share it with, share it openly. There's no shame in sharing your sin. There's no shame. It may not be culturally acceptable. what I found about our church that I love is when people visit our church and they are living in some sort of sin is that they feel loved and accepted here. Thank you for that. That is an example of who Christ is. And you're going to find acceptance with your intimate group of people that you're doing life with. So share it by his example. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, do what God tells you to do. Quit doing it. Just quit. You're never going to know how good it is till you quit. All right, God's giving you the power, not just quit. Tap into the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and quit. Obey. Then listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he gives you these little secret these little secret ideas of how to deal with your temptation. It'll be something you haven't heard or whatever, but get listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to you. And save that for the brothers. Think about other people that are struggling. Get your mind off yourself. Instead of wallowing in self-pity, start thinking about the people that God's going to allow you to help when you overcome and see how good he is. And then finally, and today I want us to celebrate this aspect. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember that when he died on the cross for you, when he obeyed the Father, and was obedient to death, even death on a cross, that he purchased not only your salvation, but when he said, it is finished, your sins died. Okay? Everybody with me? When he said, it is finished on the cross, your sins died. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray all of us turned our own way in Isaiah. All of us, not some of us. But God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's his blood that washes our sins away. It's his death that, that caused our sins to die that day. So today we're going to take communion. And as we do it this morning, this is the thoughts that I want us to have in our mind, if you will. Let's, let's make a commitment to God as we take communion today. Not that we're going to be better. But let's just remember his substitute for us. Let's remember that our sins are forgiven. They're washed away. The Bible says that all, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each us turned to his own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's all gone. All of our sins are laid on him. And as we take communion today. Let's celebrate the death of Christ. Because our sins died The day that Jesus died. All right, Okay, we all come. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to begin to worship as we worship. I encourage you to come and and get uh, a cup and the bread. And to hold that. And then we'll share that together in our closing time. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your... for your sharing of your story or the disciples' sharing of your story of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. That before you gave your life that you struggled with the temptation. As, As real as the enemy is to us that he was more real to you as you sweated drops of blood and anguish over the temptation to continue to live and be in fellowship and relationship with people and to to heal sickness, and to love, and to be loved. And yet, you went to the cross. Thank you for the example that you've given us. I pray for all of our body, that you would help us to be the kind of church, first of all, that's, that's willing to ask for prayer, confess sin, to talk about our temptations in general sense, Lord, that we would depend on this body to do that with us and that we would, in our life groups and within small groups within the life groups, whatever, that we would find people that we would be willing to be vulnerable with and show our struggles to them and ask them to pray with us. But ultimately, Lord, for one purpose, and that's to give it up, not to just talk about it and feel like we are not the only one sinning, but, the God, that we would give it up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can do that. Help us also, Lord, to pay attention to the speaking voice of the Holy Spirit as we read and pray and listen to people, that you would give us our own little secret wisdom, and Lord, that, that we would be able to use that and minister to others, get our minds off of ourselves and our temptations and our sin and get them focused on those others, other people that we'll be able to help as we overcome. Most of all today, Jesus, we celebrate our substitution. We celebrate and we overcome temptation by remembering that you have already overcome sin for us. That our sin died on the cross. And today we, we take the cup and the bread as reminders, as you told us to do. In remembrance of you. Or remembering your your crucifixion, but today, in a very specific way, remembering that you died and our sins died with you, that we are found today to be in you, dead to sin and alive to Christ. Help us to celebrate that today, God. We we enjoy this this cup and this bread in remembrance of that. In Jesus' name. If y'all stand, just coming. Get you a cup and bread and Kobe.